Hey, welcome back to the Backyard Professor videos where we learn and discuss science, religion, history, and philosophy. Today, I'm going to talk about the multiverse and some of the issues that are facing us with this incredibly interesting idea. So let's get this show on the road. Good morning. Hey, uh, I stayed up late last night researching into this and trying to get several comments and, and uh, ideas from various different scientists and theoretical physicists and mathematicians and all. And I slept in this morning. So I just realized, oh my gosh, I left my robe on. <laughs> so backyard strip tease. Woohoo. Okay. Here we go. No, it's not going to get risque, I promise. Uh, this is a huge subject, this multiverse idea. And uh, in, in the process of researching this through the years, finding ideas and themes on it, uh, I, I have discovered a fascinating world to investigate. Today, all I can do is basically give you an introduction theme and some of the ideas that are uh, supposed to be scientific, are supposed to improve our knowledge and understanding of the physics in our universe. And so this is interesting. Uh, what has happened is extremely fun to notice. And what I want to do is I've gotten several books with ideas, which I want to share with you. The idea of a multiverse is, of course, because physicists cannot abide by or stand or accept the exquisite fine-tuning in our universe. And that is from the very beginning of so many parameters. And they are continually being discovered through time so that it's not just five main constants that have been fine-tuned. There are all kinds of things that have been discovered being fine-tuned uh, to give us life in this universe. So I want to read from Michio Kaku Parallel Worlds. Now, this is just good old scientific fun, brawling, guessing, investigating, supposing, and hypothesizing. 
Um, Kaku is really fun. He's on TV quite a bit. I like his stuff. It's all good fun. Page 354. It reminds me of the this multiverse idea, this many worlds interpretation of the quantum theory uh, by Hugh Everett, actually. It reminds me of the apocryphal story that physicists sometimes tell each other. One day, a physicist from Russia was brought to Las Vegas, and he was dazzled by all of the capitalist opulence and debauchery that Sin City had to offer. He went immediately to the gaming tables and placed all of his money on the very first bet. Well, when he was told that this was a silly gambling strategy and that his strategy flew in the face of the laws of mathematics and probability, don't do it this way, dude. He replied, yes, all of that is true, of course, but in one quantum universe, I shall be rich. (laughs) Fun way to start the concept, huh? I've gone through various authors and noted what they have said about the multiverse. I just have a couple of of ideas from each one. And then I'm going to get down to the main objections of this very interesting idea. This is out of Vic Stanger's God and the Atom. He was one of my favorite reads as an atheist when when I was involved in atheism very little involved. Well, William Lane Craig and other theist philosophers and theologians have argued that an eternal multiverse is mathematically impossible. Simply put, they claim that if the multiverse is infinitely old, then it would be taken an infinite time to reach the present. That is, we would never reach right now in an infinite universe. Stanger says, my rebuttal is equally simple. An eternal multiverse did not begin an infinite time ago. It had no beginning. It always was. No matter how far you go back in time, a hundred billion years, a hundred trillion years, the time to the present is finite. An eternal multiverse is perfectly possible mathematically and scientifically. Now, my idea is, so you have to go to an postulated, hypothetical, eternal multiverse in order to avoid the beginning of this universe, the exquisitely fine-tuned beginning of this universe, since that cannot mean a beginner. But notice, he says an eternal multiverse is possible mathematically and scientifically. But an eternal universe such as ours is exactly what was thought to have existed. Even Einstein rejected the idea of an expanding universe. He thought it was an eternal stable universe. Because you see, (laughs) the current model of our universe claims it has a beginning and that is what everybody did not like because then you have to explain the cause of the beginning and this brings back in the intelligent mind. So they postulate trillions, infinite amount of multiverses in order to avoid the implications of the fine tuning of this one. 
Talk about ignoring the law of parsimony, huh? <laughs> Occam's razor. Now, this one is a beautiful one. Brian Greene, The Elegant Universe. I really enjoyed this book. What I noticed when he's discussing the multiverse, however, is something really, really interesting. No one knows if these, and I'm on page 366 and 367, no one knows if these ideas are right or wrong. And certainly they currently lie on the outskirts of mainstream science. I should say so. <laughs> I've got some beautiful comments from other scientists and mathematicians describing that. Here is how he words his entire argument for a multiverse. Well, it may not have been unique. Something expansion, inflationary expansion, may happen repeatedly. This may have no bearing on the physical attributes of the other universes. Further on, we can imagine that physics varies from one universe to a universe. The differences may be subtle. In other physics, may differ. And then further down, the up quark might weigh 10 times more. Or the electromagnetic force might be 10 times the value we measure. Physics may differ in still more dramatic ways. The list of elementary particles and forces may be completely distinct from ours. The number of extended dimensions may differ. And here's his concluding idea if we let our imaginations run free, even the laws themselves can drastically differ from universe to universe. The range of possibilities is endless. That's exactly why we need probability, not possibilities. Brian Greene, just like George Ellis said, is going down a wickedly double-edged sword slippery slope here. This isn't science. This is just merely guessing. There may be more to it, but we don't know. So anyway, and then in John W. Loftus's Christianity in the Light of Science, I really, uh, Vic Stanger, on his Christianity and cosmology. Now, of course, Stenger was a was a particle physicist, a very good one, a, a great scientist. And in the end of his life, uh, toward the end of his life, he began writing new atheist books. He wanted so bad to be in in with the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the new atheist group. And he basically. <laughs> He says something that amazes me. This is page 97. The view of the cosmos that we hold today could not be more dissimilar to that of the ancient Hebrews. And, and my note here is, let's see, the Big Bang equals a beginning and Genesis, the first three words say, in the beginning. And that's dissimilar? Stanger stretching. So, Sean Carroll, one of the better books, The Big Picture. This is an enormously important book to read. Sean Carroll is a very excellent scientist. There's no question about that. Here's what he has to say. 
And again, I can't give you the full total context of each chapter because we'd be here for six straight days, but I will circle back around and add more as I have time and I'm capable of. This is on page 306 and 307. Uh, the physical numbers that are purportedly fine-tuned, even supposedly fixed constants, such as the mass of the neutron, could take on very different values from place to place in a multiverse. If that's the case, the fact that we find ourselves in a part of the multiverse that is compatible with life is exactly what we should expect. Where else would we find ourselves? But notice what he's doing here. So you postulate a fairy tale to account for a feature in our universe that has an explanation already that you don't like, a fine tuner. So they postulate stuff and say, oh, hey, now we can get to the idea. We can get to the idea without the multiverse, but they don't like it. Isn't that interesting? Now, he also says the literally different regions of space. Here is one of the major defects about the multiverse. And they all know this. Very far away, the different regions of space are all very far away and therefore unobservable to us where conditions are quite different. See, we don't even know that. They have to propose that, though, right? We call these regions other universes, even though they are still part of the natural world. He doesn't even know that either. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, the phenomenon that are in a multiverse will remain beyond our reach of observation. But even if we can't see other universes, their existence can affect the way we understand the universe we do see. But not if they're just a fairy tale or a fiction. They have absolutely no bearing on us at all in this universe. They can't. They literally can't. And yet these guys are saying, well, this is the scientific way out of the fine tuning. Proposing a fairy tale fiction? I don't think so. That doesn't work. And this is what he amazed me when he said this. In modern cosmology, the multiverse is not a theory at all. Rather, it is a prediction made by other theories. Oh, now here we go. Now he's trying to make it scientific. Theories that were invented for completely different purposes, of course, <laughs> because they can't stand where the uh, evidence in our universe leads. So they've got to come up with some different purposes. The multiverse wasn't invented because people thought it was a cool idea. I should say not. <laughs> it was forced on us by our best efforts to understand the portion of the universe that we do see. And my note on this is forced, not hardly, only because you reject divine mind and intelligence as the cause do you believe you are forced. But there is another explanation. You just don't like it. So you're going to propose wildly speculative ideas to get out of showing where the answer is. Let's keep looking.
Now, this is a very important book by Goldsmith, The Runaway Universe. And he says on page 208, Actually, a universe once born will never die, no matter what happens to the stars and galaxies within it. What we call the universe can turn out to be just one among an infinite number, all born at different times and with different physical constants governing their development. So far as theory can tell, we have no chance of interacting with any cosmos than our own. Now, it's remarkably interesting that when God was proposed as being infinite, the science immediately shot that down. They said there is no such thing as infinite. That is ludicrous. It causes way too many problems. So now that the scientists don't like the implications of the fine-tuning, they are allowed to postulate something else that is infinite, but religion isn't? Just how does that work logically and philosophically, I might ask? Very interesting. Now, this book, Lisa Randall, Warped Passages, Unraveling the Mysteries of the Universe's Hidden Dimensions. Marvelous speculation here. <laughs> but what she says is really, and she is a very good scientist. I, this is on page 60. I find the term multiverse a bit strange since a universe is defined as the whole that is the unity of its parts. Excellent observation on Lisa Randall's part. Now, our hero, Michael Shermer. Love this guy, man. The believing brain. Uh, incidentally, he's got a great YouTube channel, and he interviews many, many interesting people that you might want to go check out. He's fun stuff. Page 330, here's what he says. And now this is Stephen Hawking's explanation for the fine-tuning problem that he himself famously presented in the 1990s. Why is the universe so close to the dividing line between collapsing again and expanding indefinitely? In order to be as close as we are now, the rate of expansion early on had to be chosen fantastically accurately. And I've got a number here later I'll share with you that's going to blow your mind about that meaning. It is astonishing. If the rate of expansion one second after the Big Bang had been less than one part in 10 to the 10th, that's pretty fine-tuned, you guys. The universe would have collapsed after a few million years. If it had been greater by one part in 10 to the 10th, again, the universe would have been essentially empty after a few million years. In either case, would it have lasted long enough for life to develop? In neither case, it wouldn't have lasted long enough for life to develop. Thus, one either has to appeal to the anthropic principle or find some physical explanation of why the universe is the way it is. Hawking's collaborator, Roger Penrose, layered on even more mystery. Oh, this is the number. I, I have this elsewhere. I, thought, I forgot. Shermer presents this. Absolutely. Penrose layered on an even more mystery when he noted that the extraordinary degree of precision or fine-tuning 
that we observe that seems to be required for the big bang of the nature that we appear to observe is one part in 10 to the 10th and then that number to the 123rd at least now penrose suggested two pathways to an answer. Either it was an act of God, or we might seek some scientific mathematical theory. Indeed. That's fantastically interesting. Now, Frank Wiltzek, in a fantastic text, A Beautiful Question, a fairly new book, just a couple of years old, uh, it was inspiring and remarkably accessible, according to the Chronicle. And it was. I couldn't put this book down. This was a fantastic book. One, I, I, I've known him from several of his other writings, and uh, it's very interesting. He says on page 325 here, recent, develops, recent developments in cosmology suggests that the part of the universe that we can presently access even with the most powerful instrument is but a small part of a multiverse whose faraway parts might look quite different. Now, he says recent developments in cosmology suggest a multiverse. No, they don't. They don't like the implications of where the evidence is pointing. So they are presenting what other scientists now say are mere just tissues of absurd guesses. It goes from the sublime to the ridiculous. We've lost our science into hyperbolic guesswork, according to some scientists. So this is actually quite serious. Max Tegmark, who can't read this book? Our mathematical universe. My quest for the ultimate nature of reality. And this is another one of those books that I just, it took me a couple of days to get through this one. Actually, a few days because it was so dense and incredibly interesting. And yet, on page 119, we find Tegmark saying this. Is there another copy of you reading this book, deciding to put it aside without finishing this sentence while you're reading on? Now, a person living on a planet called Earth with misty mountains, fertile fields, and sprawling cities in a solar system with seven other planets, the life of this person has been identical to yours in every respect until now, that is, when your decision to read on signals that your two lives are diverging. You probably find this a strange idea and implausible. You think? <laughs> and I must confess that this is my gut reaction too. But it looks like we might just have to live with it. Okay, since the simplest and most popular cosmological model today predicts that this person actually exists in a galaxy about 10 to the 10th to the 29th meters from here. I mean, that's how exact this model is. This proposition doesn't even assume speculative modern physics, but merely that space is infinite and rather uniformly filled with matter. 
So there's no speculation here except the idea of an infinite cosmos. And they earlier on completely eliminated the infinite. And yet he's saying, well, there's this particular model that is so exact that it's you, a copy of you lives 10 to the 10th to the 29th meters from where you are physically right now. And that person is doing exactly what you're doing. The, this cannot possibly be science, people. Seriously. That, that is astonishing. And the reason we know is because it looks like we might just have to live with it because it is the simplest and most popular cosmological model. Popular? You mean that has become the basis of science? I did a video a couple of weeks ago with, uh, I've got her here, with Sabine Hossenfelder, lost in math. And she absolutely eviscerates this quirky direction that science has taken to where, well, now what's more popular is what is true. I, I mean, if that's not a jaw dropper, you don't understand how science is supposed to work. These are the guys that are supposed to be telling us how science works, and yet they've fallen so low on the bar of truth and how to test it through actual probability that they worry about which theory, which guess is the most popular? Wow! That has to be concerning to us. We have to begin to get concerned and say, no, we do not accept that basis for your science, folks. This is not a Stephen C. King, a Stephen King, uh, Dean Koontz version of popularity of stories at all. That's not how science works, folks. So Brian Greene, another excellent book, The Hidden Reality. He's written quite a few books. Can scientific theories that invoke a multiverse be tested? This is page 357 following. Although the multiverse concepts fits snugly. <laughs> wow. Within the Copernican template, it differs qualitatively from our earlier migrations from center stage by invoking realms that may be forever beyond our ability to examine either with any degree of precision or in some cases even at all, multiverses seemingly erect substantial barriers to scientific knowledge. I should say so. They're entirely useless to increase our knowledge of our universe. <laughs> Regardless of one's view of humanity's place in the cosmic arrangement, a widely held assumption has been that through conscientious experimentation, observation, and mathematical calculation, the capacity for gaining deeper understanding is boundless. Yes, so there's no point in speculating on an infinite number, hundreds of trillions of trillions of extra universes, when we only know 4% of our own. Why in the hell are you looking out there in what appears to be, to me, mindless desperation when you've got 96% more of our universe to discover? That absolutely is logically incoherent. 
But if we're part of a multiverse, if we're part of a multiverse, more guesses, a reasonable expectation. Now he's talking reasonable expectation is that at best we can learn about our universe, our little corner. So in order to learn about our universe, we have to go out there and study all the other trillions of universes, and then we can learn ours? Is he serious? That He can't possibly expect us to swallow this as real science, can he? This is inane. More distressing is the worry that by invoking a multiverse, we enter the domain of theories that can't be tested, theories that rely on just-so stories, relegating everything we observe to the way things just happen to be here. Precisely. Yet there are so many scientific popularizers who are ignoring that problem and pushing forward into the realm of science fiction, imagining that if they call their science fiction fairy tale science enough, then the public will begin to believe them and accept that. We're being brainwashed, you guys. Now, another fact. Simon Singh, oh my heavens, the Big Bang. This is an incredible text. The thing I love about seeing is he writes very simple. He writes easy to understand, and yet he gets you into some seriously deep science and physics, which is what I absolutely love about him. 487, and I don't have this quote from Freeman Dyson. That's why I'm using it from Simon Singh. But I've seen this quote used several times by others, so I, I'm pretty sure it's valid. The eminent physicist Freeman Dyson wrote, the more I examine the universe and the details of its architecture, the more evidence I find that the universe in some sense must have known we were coming. Excellent, excellent point. Now, Lee Smolin, Time Reborn. Wow, talk about a, uh, talk about a contemporary outstanding current theoretical physicist and uh, cosmologist, Lee Smolin is exquisitely knowledgeable. He has some very remarkable ideas, uh, a little bit hard to understand, but well worth the effort. However, his, his comment on 209 caught my eye. We know, we know that our universe wasn't produced by random choice because of the many properties it has that would be extraordinarily unlikely to result from such a choice. That's very important to understand because of what Vic Stanger says in his book, God and the Folly of Faith. What Vic Stanger here says is absolute palpable nonsense. I'm astonished that a man of his caliber went this direction. He's talking about the Nobel laureate physicist Steven Weinberg, who supports the notion, just as Darwin and Wallace explained how the wonderful adaptation of living forms could arise without supernatural intervention. See, that's what they hate, 
right? So the string landscape may explain how the constants of nature that we observe can take values suitable for life without being fine-tuned by a benevolent creator. Now, here is Stanger's comment that knocks me off my chair. While the notion of multiple universes should not be dismissed, why? Of course it should. Is he kidding? Of course we should dismiss it. We only know 4% of our own universe. Why worry about anything else for the next billion years? Right? Seriously. Here's what he says that shocked me. No evidence for fine-tuning exists. Wow! Even when considering our universe alone. Now, wow! This should say Vic Stanger and the folly of illogical comments. I, I cannot believe he says that. No other physicist in existence will agree with that comment. How did Vic Stanger get away with it? Didn't anyone edit his books? Wasn't this peer-reviewed? Didn't they check him for logic? Apparently not. That is absolutely false. It hurt when I really realized Stanger said that. Uh, I like Stanger. He's a very fabulous particle physicist, but his atheism got in the way of his logic. Now, Leonard Susskind, The Cosmic Landscape, this is Susskind's deep book. Now, the Black Holes War, where he discussed black holes with Stephen Hawking, that was a great book. This, this is incredible, but it's a mind bend. It's a stretch. But books like this, and, and again, Vic Stanger's book, God in the Multiverse, where he says basic, he's definitely defending reductionism in this Amazingly enough, you go from the simple to the complex. So his idea is, well, the simple, our one universe, to the complex, to the infinite multiverse. Okay, <laughs> whatever floats your boat, Vic. I, I'm sorry to say that as I have begun to study more and more of this cosmological from the scientists' point of views and the mathematicians who are vehemently beginning to disagree with this particular path that science has taken, that it's getting very, very ugly and very, very bad. It, it's almost a horror story because this isn't science, and yet they're trying to pawn it off as science. Now, what does that do for our trust in the scientists? Is it any wonder that serious amounts of public funding for the continuation of science is diminishing? Now, this is a serious situation. We can't let that happen. We need science. I am not anti-science here. I am anti-scientism. For, for a particle physicist to say there's no tuning whatsoever in the universe that's just a bald face lie. I, I can't fathom. I mean, even Stephen Hawking, with all of his lousy philosophy in his book, The Grand Design, shows how fine-tuning he's. Michael Shermer quoted him. I, I'm not quite sure why there's such a desperation uh, in between particle physicists and cosmologists to postulate this unwieldy, 
ridiculous theme of a multiverse when we don't even know hardly any. I mean, start working on dark matter and dark energy for Pete's sake. Learn what gravity is. We still don't know what gravity is. We still can't even explain what energy is. The ability to do work is not an explanation. That's an observation. What is it? We still don't know. And yet we use it all the time. You know, they're out there twaddling out there in the bushes and the weeds when they should be staying home and learning more about this home that we have here and now. That's my proposition. So let me show the real serious problem. I, I will explain um, I will explain the concepts. And I do have some other banners and uh, a couple of other pictures that I'll show you. Let me let me get to my banners. Uh, I showed you that one. Okay. Oh well, now this is this is a really important one, and we have to grasp this. There is no scientist alive right now that says or understands or has shown that any of those other multiverses are at all even relevant to ours, because there is simply no communication between the universes. So, why postulate them? You know. That's ridiculous. Let's study this one. But they don't like what this one is showing them. And they're trying to wiggle out of the obvious direction that it's taking them. So in their naive atheism, they are going completely against Occam's razor and proposing all kinds of ridiculous ideas. And I will, I will get to that. Now, this particular book, The Return... <laughs> I like how I put that upside down. Way to go, BYP. The Return of the God Hypothesis by Stephen C. Meyer. This is a profoundly well-written, well-argued book. Uh, I, I am very impressed with this, seriously. I've watched several of his videos online, and I am deeply impressed with his ability to philosophically demonstrate his points of understanding. In his chapter 16, One God or Many Universes. Now, this book is brand new, if I remember correctly, and I will see shortly. Yeah, 2021, just last year. Uh, and I have a good little banner I'll show you while I'm talking about this, because this is fun stuff. To explain cosmic fine-tuning, some physicists have postulated not a fine-tuner or intelligent designer, but the existence of a vast number of other universes. This multiverse concept not only posits many other universes, but also various mechanisms for producing these universes. Having a mechanism for generating new universes would, according to proponents of this multiverse, increase the number of opportunities for generating a life-friendly universe. Thus, they portray our universe as something like the lucky winner in a cosmic lottery and the universe generating mechanism as something like a roulette wheel or a slot machine turning out either life conducive winners or life friendly losers with each spin or pull of the handle. Now, the interesting thing here is it is very important to grasp that we have proponents 
need a universe generating mechanism. And most of them think of the different universes that they postulate as causally isolated and disconnected from each other. We've seen that from the several quotes I gave earlier. So for the most part, they do not expect to have any direct observational evidence in one universe other than our own. So nothing that happens, and this is the important point, I even had time to make a banner in this, nothing that happens in one universe should affect the things that happen in another universe. Oh, wait, come on, show. There we go. Consequently, nothing that happens in one universe should have any effect on things that happen in another use universe. And here's the kicker, nor would events in one universe affect the probability of events in the other universe. So the multiverse response of the fine-tuning in our universe is a complete non-sequitur. It doesn't affect the existing fine-tuning in our universe. It doesn't take that away at all. So what's the point? To avoid the implication, of course, because proper science must have observables. <laughs> yeah, and I know, I, I, I get it. There is some science that we cannot observe or experiment or repeat with, but then we hypothesize to the best inference and the multiverse is not the best inference for what caused the evidence of the astonishing fine-tuning of the universe. That's not the best answer, but it's the only one they can go to. See, like Sean Carroll said, well, we're forced to postulate this. Malarkey. You're not forced at all. You're so biased and worried about your own subjective view of objectivity and eliminating other possibilities that you can't fathom, you can't accept where it's going. That's the more better reality. And that's unfortunate, but that's how it works. So anyway, now the inflationary universe. There are two theories here for the multiverse. Number one, the inflationary universe. Oh, and I think I got a good pattern, a, a good whoop, a good banner for you. Whoop. Sorry, a good picture. Let's see, inflationary universe. Did I show this one already? Yes, I did. I'll show it again. Okay, so no, I won't. Here, let me get to this one. This is kind of a cool one. Here we go. That's a better one anyway. Proponents of inflationary cosmology posit that just after the Big Bang, the universe expanded at an extremely rapid rate. And then after a tiny fraction of a second, the rate of expansion settled down to a more sedate pace. So physicists have proposed inflationary cosmology to explain several puzzling features of the universe from the perspective of standard Big Bang cosmology, its relative homogeneity, especially in the temperature of the cosmic background radiation, the flatness of the universe, and the absence of magnetic monopoles. See, proponents of inflationary cosmology, and this is really interesting, a proponents of inflationary cosmology 
posit a specific universal generating mechanism. And so the eternal inflationary theory, the eternal chaotic inflationary model is an outward pushing field with vacuum energy dubbed an inflaton field. And what this inflaton field does is it causes the expansion of a wider space in which our universe and other universes arose. As the inflaton field expands, the energy of the field sporadically decays in isolated locations. When that happens, the inflaton field spawns other lower energy bubble universes as the basis as as the as the bubbles contain them collisions rarely if ever happen of course so some physicists have appropriately titled this model have used this model sorry to explain fine tuning though only the fine tuning of the initial conditions not the laws and constants of physics since the laws of physics would be the same in all the bubbles within the larger universe so even so proponents of the inflationary universe argue that since the inflaton field can produce an infinite number of other universes every event that has occurred in our universe is bound to occur somewhere endlessly many times. It follows that events or conditions that appear extremely improbable, like Max Tegmark's idea, considering only our universe are actually highly probable or even inevitable. Sooner or later, some universe had to acquire the finely tuned conditions necessary to sustain life. And so our universe just happened to be the lucky one. According to this theory, since we only observe the bubble universe in which we live, we falsely think that the conditions necessary for life are extremely improbable. When in fact, given the action of the inflaton field as a universe generating mechanism, a life-friendly universe must inevitably arise in some universe somewhere. We just happen to be living in that lucky universe. So that's one, that's one uh, potential possibility and explanation. Now, the other one is string theory. And what we want to understand about string theory is very interesting too. And I mean, this is fun science fiction uh, because nothing has been discovered. And in fact, string theory is on the way out. None of his predictions occurred. Supersymmetry has not been found. The Large Hadron Collider uh, there in Geneva, Switzerland has failed to find any supersymmetry whatsoever. And that's why they're begging for another $100 billion to build a larger collider so that they can keep looking, even though all of their predictions about it have failed. And that's why so many physicists are beginning to say, wait a minute. Why should we give you more money when for the last 30 years you have not progressed at all? See, th th this is the subject of this incredible book by Hoffenfelder, Lost in Math. You must get this book and read it. 
it's a scary picture she's presenting. So here we go with the string theory multiverse. Here's the idea behind this. According to string theory, the fundamental units of matter are tiny one-dimensional strings or filaments of energy rather than elementary particles such as the photons and the protons, the quarks, and the electrons. These filaments of energy form different vibrational patterns. And the interesting thing, they're both open and closed strings. So string theory teaches that all of the elementary particles are just manifestations of the underlying behavior of different vibrating strings. String theory is fundamentally a particle physicist's based theory of gravity on a banishingly small quantum scale. So the thing about string theory that we have to understand on this quantum scale is the consequence of string theory is the existence of gravitons. String theorists understand gravitons as massless closed strings that transmit gravitational forces over long distances at the speed of light. And I mean, of course, all of this is like uh, Brian Greene said, letting our imagination run completely wild. and We can postulate absolutely anything we want. But is that science? On page 332, the string theorists not only posited the existence of gravitons, but also their complementary supersymmetric fermionic partner strings called gravitinos. None of this has been discovered, which is so unfortunate. Or is it? Is science trying to tell us, knock off with the useless, idiotic speculating, and let's get back to real science? See? There's a lot of scientists hollering in that direction now. George Ellis among them. Realize George Ellis co-authored one of the most important cosmological texts with Stephen Hawking. And he's saying, these guys are going way, this is all wrong. This, this doesn't work. Let's get back to actual science. And I've got some interesting comments I'll quote on a very brand new source just shortly on that subject. So the different vibrations of gravitinos give rise to the different matter particles, just as the different vibrations of gravitons produce the bosons. So the idea here is the hope for a unique solution describing the physics of our world quickly went away. Indeed, just for solutions to the equations of the strings theory that have a positive cosmological constant, as our universe does, there are anywhere between 10 to the 500th power to 10 to the 1,000th power. Realize how huge these numbers are. The total number of all of the particles and subatomic particles in our entire universe only goes 10 to the 80. 10 to the thousand is trillions of 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 times larger. And I'm not exaggerating. That is amazing. That number is vast. So physicists now call this vast collection of possible solutions or bakua or compactifications of space. This is what they call the string landscape. Well, of course, 
this just blew the theory out of the water. I said, oh my gosh, that's, that's so that's so ludicrous. You can't even use it. This is worthless. So they tried to make a, a, a blessing out of necessity. Uh, <laughs> they were using string theory to model fundamental physical reality in our universe, not a multiverse. This is just for hours alone, and it didn't work. So what did they do? They use a defective theory that helps explain our universe, and they turned it around and proposed a multiverse with it. That's not science. I mean, even a non-scientist like myself, but an enthusiastic reader of it, recognizes that that is not science. Oh, it's defective to explain our universe, but it's beautiful to explain 100,000 trillion of them out there that don't even exist, that we're just postulating in order to save our broken and bad theory. Oh, come on. We've got to do better than this. This is horrific guessing. This, this doesn't even come up to science fiction. It's embarrassing, even though they postulated a multiverse with it to try to save their defunct theory. I personally don't buy it. It's great science fiction, but don't tell me this is science. That doesn't work that way. That's not correct. Now, yes, yeah, some leading physicists have told me in all candor that they regard the multiverse hypothesis as a speculative metaphysical hypothesis, not a scientific one. That That is it. Once we get the correct label, you know, I yelled at ID. I yelled at intelligent design and I told them, Look, man, if you're going to be science, then for Pete's sake, drop the religion and get to the science if you can. Well, now I'm going to tell the scientists, if you want this to be science, then drop the speculatory fiction inventing uh, worthless hypotheses and get back to science. That's a necessity, not an option. You know, Sean Carroll says we're forced to postulate a multiverse. Well, you're being forced into a non-science area then. You better come back home and start studying our universe. Because you're starting to lose the trust of the public. There's the reason. We need the funding for science. But if our scientists are going off into la-la land, then it's hard to give them more money. There's the catch. That's why we need to start telling the scientists, no, we do not support your ridiculous, idiotic speculations. You get back to doing science and you follow the evidence to the best inference, no matter where it leads. In other words, you have to start getting rid of your own biases, because even those aren't science. They are not scientific. They are subjective biases. Yeah. So, one more point, page 335 in the, in the uh, sorry, The Return of the God Hypothesis by Stephen C. Meyer. 
The Oxford philosopher Richard Swinburne has argued the theistic design hypothesis constitutes a simpler and a less ad hoc explanation for cosmic fine tuning. Now, why? Let's explore this. Swinburne affirms here the principle of Occam's razor, which states that when attempting to explain phenomena, we should as much as possible avoid multiplying theoretical entities. In other words, when evaluating competing hypotheses, we should prefer all other things being equal, the simpler hypotheses with fewer such theoretical entities. Swinburne notes that the God hypothesis requires the postulation of only one explanatory entity, an intelligent and powerful transcendent agent, rather than multiple entities, including an infinite number of causally separate universes and the various universe-generating mechanisms posited by multiverse advocates. As he argues, it is the height of irrationality to postulate an infinite number of universes never causally connected with each other merely to avoid the hypothesis of theism. In other words, Sean Carroll is just wrong. No one is being forced into this multiverse hypothesis. Given that a theory is simpler, the fewer entities it postulates, it is far simpler to postulate one God than an infinite number of universes, each differing from each other and none of them connected. That's powerful. Yeah. So, we have an also the uh, Messiah College philosopher of physics, Robin Collins, notes a very obvious feature that should help wake up our current scientists. We have no experience of anything like inflaton fields with precisely calibrated shutoff energies or string landscapes of compactified extra-dimensional spaces or anything else that is not itself designed produced finely tuning systems. They're simply off in the dark, in other words. And that ends up being quite serious. I wanted to get to this final idea. And this is quite stunning to, to read about. And this is on page 345 of the Return of the God Hypothesis by Stephen C. Meyer, for those of you who came in late. So why, despite the many liabilities, the failed predictions of string theory, the, the inflationary string bubble deflates, the pre-existing unexplained fine-tuning in string theory that they just pass over as if it didn't exist, why, despite these many liabilities, do the multiverse remain the go-to explanation of cosmological fine-tuning for so many physicists? In fact, as I learned in my candid conversation with Michael Shermer, many scientific materialists do not actually believe that a quasi-infinite array of other universes really exists. Well, then why propose it as a valid scientific theory? 
They're wasting their time and our money. Yet there are genuine proponents of the multiverse, and they have indicated why they affirm the idea in spite of what others may regard as its transparent, obvious implausibility. Of course, consider what Stanford physicist Leonard Susskind, one of the architects of the string theory universe, has himself said about the underlying impulse behind the construction of this immense theoretical structure. If for some unforeseen reason, he says, the string landscape turns out to be inconsistent, maybe for mathematical reasons, and it did, this is, this is him early on, or because it disagrees with observation, then, as things stand now, we will be in a very awkward position, and they are in that awkward position right now because string theory didn't make it. That's important to grasp. Without any explanation of nature's fine tunings, we will be hard-pressed to answer the intelligent design critics. So they're guessing in order to avoid the implications of what is happening in our universe. And they want us to give them hundreds of billions of more dollars from their failed tests so that they can continue avoiding the implication of intelligent design, the inference to the best explanation there is on the fine tuning. And they have admitted that. It's time for us public to wake up and do something about this. I'm not going to give them my money any more than I'm going to give Mormonism my money. Not at this point. I will certainly give my money to the medical charities. That's vastly more useful and practical and a good use of my money than giving them to the theoretical physicists so that they can sit on their ass making up other kooky scientific guesses and giving us science fiction. I'm not interested in that, right? So other leading physicists familiar with the research program have observed such a strong medical metaphysical predilection among their colleagues. As University of London theoretical physicist Bernard Carr has observed to the hardline physicist, the multiverse may not be entirely respectable. Entirely? It's not, it's not respectable at all, but we're talking about the hardline physicists here, right? So, but it is at least preferable to invoking a creator. There it is again. There it is again. Indeed, anthropologically inclined physicists like Susskind and Weinberg are attracted to the multiverse precisely because it seems to dispense with God as the explanation of cosmic design. Well, I'm not going to continue giving them my hard-earned money so that they can continue creating tissues of fantasies and fairy tales just to avoid the obvious implication of what our universe is showing us. I'm not going to continue supporting the theoretical physicists if they don't pull their heads out of their fairy tale butts and get back to doing real science and following the evidence to the inference to the best explanation as well. Now, as retired Harvard, this is page 346, 
As retired Harvard evolutionist biologist Richard Lewontin noted, our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. He's giving the cat away here. The cat is out of the bag. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs. And they bitch about Tertullian, the early church father who said, I believe in Christianity because it's absurd. And yet they turn around and now do the same thing with their science. Rather than accept the obvious implications, we're going to make sure anything, no matter how absurd, is put into place as science, when in fact it has nothing to do with science. It has to do with their idiotic subjective biases. Why are these men in science teaching my children that their subjective biases are reality and truth, when in fact we know it's just more bullshit being piled on in the name of science when it's not? Why do I let my kids be educated by that? Well, the plain fact is I don't, right? The public needs to wake up, folks. You, you, me, we need to wake up and start letting our voices be heard. Science has become the basis for them to promote their own subjective, objectively unlogical biases. Their own subjectivity has replaced science. That's not acceptable. He admitted that. In spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just so-called stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Then don't expect me to give you my money, because nothing in science is absolute. You see how they've apostatized from real science. This is the admission. That's it. Lewontin demonstrated why. I'm never giving my money to these guys again until they get rid of their idiotic, patent, subjective biases that they have said is the absolute. Nothing in science is absolute especially your own biases. Talk about closed minds. And they yell at religious prophets? What hypocrites. And I'm not advocating listening to the religious prophets either. I'm just saying it's time the hypocrisy of this silly stuff gets exposed and we do something about this. Because now it's serious. It's damaging all other aspects of the science that is used for our public good. We need to begin to raise our voices. Of course, noting atheistic or materialistic motives in this promoting the multiverse hypothesis does not refute it any more than identifying theistic motives in proponents of the God hypothesis refutes theism. What matters in assessing any worldview or hypothesis is its coherence. And the multiverse 
is nowhere near coherent. Lewontin admitted it's patently absurd, but we're going to stick with it because we don't like the alternative hypothesis. We're too biased against it. Well, then you shouldn't be doing science. Isn't science supposed to be following the evidence where the inference to the best answer lies? If you're not willing to do that, then get the hell out and put in a real scientist. That's what we need to start saying to people. That's what we need to start saying to the establishment. What matters is that its coherence, its parsimony, and explanatory power with respect to the relevant evidence. Absolutely. The multi-universe hypothesis lacks precisely these attributes. And that is why I do not accept it. But it gets worse. It really does. Do I have enough time? Oh, yes. I'm on a roll, man. You betcha. I am on a roll. Let's take a look. Oh, I've shown you that one already. Sorry. Did I miss out on all my banners, too? Yeah. Yeah. I'm done with the banners. Sorry. Here, I'll do this one. This is a good one. <laughs> okay. John C. Lennox. God's undertaker has science buried God. Now, last night I shared some of Lennox's ideas. And to me, he really has a very powerful point to make. But let's take a look at another one of his ideas. Uh, this is a, an exquisite look at the pros and cons in a very balanced basis, unlike Lewontin in his scientific bias, which he says is absolute. Well, if you absolute to, if you absolutely make your bias reality and truth as the basis to do your science, we're doomed. Man, we have to see the serious error and the consequences of that error. That is not acceptable, man, right? So let's see what he says. John Polkinghorne himself, an eminent quantum theorist, rejects the many worlds hypothesis of quantum physics. Let us recognize these speculations for what they are. They are not physics. And in the strictest sense, nor are they metaphysics. There is no purely scientific reason to believe in an ensemble of universes. By construction, these other worlds are unknowable by us. A possible explanation of equal intellectual respectability and, to my mind, greater economy and elegance would be that this one world is the way it is because it is the creation of the will of a creator who proposes that it should be so. Philosopher Richard Swinburne goes even farther to postulate a trillion trillion other universes rather than one God in order to explain the orderliness of our own universe seems the height of irrationality. Indeed, it does. Cosmologist Edward Harrison reacted this way, very similarly. Here is the cosmological proof of the existence of God, the design argument of Paley, 
updated and refurbished. The fine-tuning of the universe provides prima facie evidence of deistic design. Take your choice. Blind chance that requires multitudes of universes or design that requires only one. Many scientists, when they admit their views, incline toward the teleological or the design argument. Arno Penzias put the argument the other way around, actually. Now, he's one of the finders of the cosmological background radiation. Some people are uncomfortable with the purposely created world to come up with things that contradict purpose. They tend to speculate about things they haven't seen. Wow. And we're falling for that? No, we've got to learn how to think again, folks. Religion has done us the disservice of telling us what to think. Now, science appears to be doing that also. Uh -uh. Let's not just switch from one system of what to think, religion, to another system of what to think, science. No, let's not do that. Let's wake up and learn how to think for ourselves. That's my reason for producing my videos on Mormonism, on science, on philosophy, on nature, on all the subjects I find so interesting. The big questions. Those are the good ones. Yes. Sometimes gossiping about other religions and stuff is fun too, and it's necessary. But the big questions is what we're all interested in, whether we admit it or not. So it should, however, be pointed out that although Leslie may be correct in suggesting that fine-tuning means that either there is a God or a multiverse, logically, these two options are not mutually exclusive. Now, here is something to look at. It's not God or the multiverse. Let's take a look at the deeper potential issue here. Parallel universes could also be the work of a creator. <laughs> and you go, of course, oh, of course, you know, the light bulb goes on here. You go, oh, see, this is why we have philosophers to keep track of the illogical, silly pseudoscience that scientists present to us, right? They're fantastic scientists. We're not arguing that. We're not being anti-science. We're saying, you scientists, you cosmological scientists, you need to learn better philosophy because you're getting clobbered if you're philosophically incoherent and contradictory. It doesn't matter how much excellent math you do, your theory won't hold water, right? So this is fantastically interesting. Parallel universes could also be the work of a creator. Furthermore, as a philosopher of physics, Michael Lockwood has observed Leslie's firing squad argument for this universe is not actually negated by postulating a universe. Oh, now let's look at this. The element of surprise and need for explanation exists within whatever universe in which the fine-tuning is being observed. After all, the probability that a given person obtains a run of ten sixes in throwing a dice is not altered by the fact that there may be many people throwing dice in the same city at the same time. So the multiverse does not 
get rid of the fine-tuning of our universe and the implications of that fine-tuning. Very interesting. Well, in a similar vein, Christian Deduve writes, even if the theory turns out to be correct, the deduction drawn from it by Reese and Weinberg strikes me as what the French call drowning the fish. Whether you use all the waters in the oceans to drown the animal, it will still be there affirming its presence. However many universes one postulates, ours can never be rendered insignificant by the magnitude of trillions of other universes. That does nothing to make our universe just an ordinary universe. See, that's the really incoherent philosophy of people like Vic Stinger and other physicists who want to do a number on the creator when in fact they utterly fail. Their science is a tissue of absurdity. I should say their scientific speculation about the multiverse is a tissue of absurdity. These are very good scientists, far more brilliant than I'll ever be. I, I gladly acknowledge. Crap, I read them all the time. I love it. But that doesn't mean philosophically they have any form of sense. They teach nonsense. So what appears to me as supremely significant is that a combination capable of giving rise to life and mind should exist at all. Therefore, the multiverse argument does not, in fact, weaken the design arguments advanced. No. It's interesting that Martin Rees concedes that the fine-tuning of the universe is compatible with theism, but says he prefers the multiverse theory anyway. Okay. If one does not believe in providential design, but still thinks the fine-tuning needs some explanation, there is another perspective, a highly speculative one, so I should reiterate my health warning at this stage. It is the one I much prefer, as if that's scientific. See, don't follow the evidence where it leads. Just follow what you want to believe. But isn't this the same accusation that science accuses against the religions? Wow. Then they turn around and practice what they're screaming against the religions doing? That's hypocrisy. And yet they think they can get away with it? Uh-uh. No, sir. Not allowed. I'm not following this. Even though in our present state of knowledge that I prefer the multiverse, any such preference can be no more than a hunch. And yet they yell at the religious people for the same approach? What arrogance! So you quit doing it the scientific way and following where the evidence leads and just go on your own special feelings inside because that's what you prefer. That is what they yell at the religious for. And then they turn around and do it that way? Wow! I, I mean, come on! How <laughs> fantastically interesting. So preference is a personal thing 
to which each of us is, of course, entitled. Yes, I'm not saying you're not entitled to that, but don't you dare call that science to me. And don't you dare bitch about any religious person ever again in writing or verbally for taking the same approach you scientists are beginning to take. You see the problem they're in because they have absolutized their own personal bias. They can't win because they're not following the evidence. They're not doing science here. That's amazing. This takes us beyond the boundary of what most of us would think of as science. Indeed, science is becoming religion. And if that doesn't scare the living hell out of all these scientists, then maybe they better wake up. <laughs> right? Wow. And another version of the multiverse theory, the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, is that very logically, possible universes exist. However, see, there's always a however. There's always a catch, right? However, if every possible universe exists, then according to philosopher Alvin Plantinga of Notre Dame University, there must be, now get this, get this logic that the cosmologists are missing in their desire to skip over a divine mind and a creator. Understand this. This is why they need to start studying philosophy. Plantinga says, there must be a universe based on this scientific postulate of a multiverse now. This is not religious. This philosophy is based upon the scientific postulate of the multiverse. Let's keep that crystal clear here. This is what makes this proposition philosophically so absolutely devastating to the multiverse. At least if you're a hardcore, biased, subjective materialist doing science. There must be a universe in which God exists since his existence is logically possible, even though highly improbable in the view of the new atheists. We can take that into account. In an infinite number of universes, that's irrelevant. It could be improbable, but it will happen. God does happen. And furthermore, since God is omnipotent, <laughs> he must exist in every universe. And hence, there's only one universe, this universe, of which he is the creator and upholder. <laughs> Fantastically interesting, isn't it? Wow. Talk about giving it back to the uh, subjective bias scientists. Holy cow. See, the concept of many worlds is clearly fraught with logical and now and not only scientific difficulties. So, wow. These are not God of the gaps argument. Now, this is critical. See, I've noticed that scientists now say everywhere there's a defect in science, they begin invoking this God of the gaps. But this argument here against the multiverse is not that kind of an argument because they do not reduce to science can't explain it, 
therefore God did it. These arguments are showing the scientific and logical incoherence of the scientific claim. So don't put this into the false category of God of the gaps. That is not what we have seen today. That's critical. That's critical. See, the scientists don't get away, don't get to get away with misleading us with a false classification of the type of argument we're presenting. Nope, that doesn't work. See, philosophy comes to our rescue here. That's why it's so important. Scientists need to begin to know that and begin to practice it. Now, one of those who are sincerely, even though I disagree with some of his stuff, and not because I know more than him, I don't, but one of the better, well, Sean Carroll is pretty good. He is, although he has his limitations. And Brian Green has just ended up speculating till the cows come home. But uh, Frank Wilczek, and uh, I'm trying to find the book. Oh, what's his nose? Come on, come on. I've got it here, I promise. Not Kaku. Wow, where'd it go? I can't find his. Oh, yeah, right here. Lee Smolin. Lee Smolin is another one of the better scientists. I, I like his writing. So, And I've got more information to share with him uh, on him and his philosophy as well. So to close this out, I've gone on far enough. Oh, hey, I got to quit. God, get rid of that scrolling thing, man. It's driving you crazy. But uh, really to close out again, and this is brand new, 2022, this year. Uh, Existential Physics by Sabine Hassenfelder. And she's very good. She has YouTube videos you ought to start watching. And she is becoming more and more involved in uh, in the online presence of producing actual science instead of all this ridiculous speculation sort of fairy tale concoctions that we've gotten for the last 30 years from physicists, cosmologists, and, and scientists. And she notes on page 113, after talking about the ideas of the multiverse, she says, but in which sense are they real? Unobservable universes are, by definition, unnecessary to describe what we observe. And haven't I been saying that throughout this video? Now I've got a very prominent physicist. In fact, it's from her that I got my ideas. My, my interpretations, my, my worldview enlarged, I'll put it that way. So assuming they are real is also unnecessary. Scientific theories should not contain unnecessary assumptions because if we allow that, and here's her punchline, <laughs> we would also have to allow the assumptions that a God made the universe precisely. <laughs> right on. Su superfluous assumptions aren't wrong. They're just not science. And that's the key right there, right? So she says on page 116, uh, she says, you know, one invents a mechanism to create the initial state for inflation in our universe. Just make it up. 
Just just do your mathematics enough so that you can get rid of all the bad mathematics that don't explain the inflaton field and keep working it until you find a, a, a mathematical equation and then say, aha, there's proof for the inflaton field. Folks, that's not science. Come on. You can't even observe the inflaton field. So you have to use your own intelligence to monkey with the equations until you get it right. Excuse me. That confirms the intelligent design thesis, not the naturalism evolutionary thesis, even on the cosmological scale. Wow. <laughs> That's fascinating. She says, as I've explained so often, this isn't about what I believe, as scientists are now beginning to say. And this isn't about popularity. That's my words, not hers. I don't want to put words in her mouth. It's not about popularity like Max Tegmark notes in his mathematical universe. Who cares if it's popular or not? What I want to know is, is it science, right? Because if 10,000 people believe something, does that make that something true? Of course not. There are 10,000 people on earth right now that believe Sasquatch is real. Does science accept that? Of course not. Why? Because it's unpopular. There's no evidence. Well, what if 100 million people came to believe it and made it really, 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 really popular? Well, what if 8 billion people came to believe in the multiverse? Would that make it reality? No. It's not about what you believe. It's not about how popular things are. Let's let Hassenfelder in this book, Existential Physics, brand new book, guide us here a little bit. She says, this isn't about what I believe or not. It's about what we can know or not. I am saying that what's beyond what we can observe is purely a matter of belief. Science doesn't say anything about whether it exists or doesn't exist. Hence, claiming it exists is ascientific. And so is claiming that it doesn't exist. It's not a science statement, in other words. It's a personal preference. If you want to talk about it, that's all fine. Don't pretend it's science. There's your bottom line right there. Stop conflating belief with science. You physicists, that's who she's talking to. And again, no one should be denigrated for what they believe in. This is on page 119. No one should be denigrated for what they believe in. If you want to believe in the existence of infinitely many universes with infinitely many copies of yourself, some of whom are immortal, that's all good with me, but don't pretend it's science. And that's where I have been hard on the physicists, the cosmologists, the mathematicians today in this video. I'm not being anti-science. I'm not negating. I'm not ridiculing their belief. I'm ridiculing the fact that they are saying this is science and this is what we have to study. It is not. 
The multiverse is not science. It's a belief. And we only know 4% of our own universe. It makes absolutely no sense to me at all to go out there in La La Land, you know. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I wanted to cover. Um, that's good enough for this morning. I really do. I have to get a hold of uh, Dan Bogle. I haven't even seen the comments. I've been worried about these banners and brands and all that. I've been trying to show you some cool stuff, which which I think that is really a spectacular picture. Honest to goodness, that's fun. That's awesome. Bubbles of new universes, and it's all just fantasy fairy tale being pawned off on us as real science. And they want us to continue giving them our money so that they can continue presenting a false idea. I'm not into that anymore. So anyway, okay, you guys, thank you. Come back tonight, six o'clock uh, mountain time in the United States. So you know the routine. My Sunday night six is pretty well established. I've got it uh, scheduled. Just hit the notify me button and come and enjoy a conversation with Dan Bogle and I. We're going to be talking more about the book Method Infinite, Freemasonry and Mormonism. It's going to be a fun time. It's going to be exciting. And I have it in the works that I am going to have uh, the authors of the book, Cheryl Bruno and Nick Leterskian, also to offer their perspective on their book because they do disagree in some respects with Dan Bogle. And this is all the nature of analysis and discussion, which is always wonderful. So we're going to continue growing and expanding in our awesome knowledge of history, of religion, of science, and of philosophy, which is what I'm all about. But the bottom line is, we are learning how to think, which is absolutely the most invaluable tool we can have for throughout our lives to raise our children with and to get on up into old age without wasting our time and money on false schemes, if we can at all help it. The better informed we are, the safer we become. So... Have a great day. I will see you all tonight. Thank you, and I appreciate all of your support and ideas.